Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 25% capacity at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's anacortischristian.church. That's A-N-A-C-O-R-T-E-S Christian.church. You can also visit our website if you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or if you'd like to get in contact with us. We would love to hear from you. So, whether you're sitting, driving, or exercising, thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into the Bible together. Years ago, after I preached a sermon, I was approached by a man who just kind of blew my socks off because he utterly ridiculed everything I had just said. Um, He just kind of blasted the whole service. He was not a believer in Jesus or anything. He said, all these people are just a bunch of sheep. And, you know, this is just ridiculous. But, he said, but just in case, I know that when it comes close to my time to die or I'm on my deathbed or whatever, I can just pray a prayer, shoot one up there to God, ask Jesus into my heart, and I'll be good, just in case. Does that sound off to you? Like that's not quite right, is it? Unfortunately, I think that that mentality results from how Christians have communicated the gospel to a large degree, how we've simplified it, streamlined it into a a simple formula that can just get you into heaven when you die. So you can believe whatever you want. All these people are a bunch of sheep. It's all a bunch of, you know, baloney. But just in case, I'll make sure I'm good when my time comes. The word gospel is one of the most important terms among Christians. And it's a common term. We hear phrases like, we're a gospel-led church. We preach gospel-based sermons. Um, It just kind of gets thrown around a lot. And even outside of of Christian culture, you know, there's, you probably hear someone say, oh, that's gospel truth right there. You know, it's a way of saying that this is like truth in its most pure, distilled form. Or you hear the word gospel and you might say like, isn't that a music genre? You know, like a, a kind of music people listen to, right? This is a word that gets thrown around quite a lot. And it's an important word. Uh, So the danger of this word that we use a lot is that we can lose focus on what it actually means. We believe that the whole Bible points to Jesus, and Jesus points us to repent and believe the gospel. So it all comes down to the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of, The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There is power in the gospel. It calls people to believe and it saves. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? And last week we started off this series, and what I did is I started off by examining some of the common ways that the gospel 
is usually presented. So we looked at like the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Man sinned and fell away from God. I'm probably getting it wrong here a little bit. God uh, provided our only solution to man's sin through Jesus and everyone must individually make a decision to uh, turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, There was the bridge illustration. We talked about kind of people who go out and just sort of preach hellfire and brimstone. You make a decision and now you're good. You can go to to heaven. And we talked about how that whole viewpoint of of even just the way we've thought about heaven and hell is actually even unbiblical. It's not even right. It's not even real. Um, There's, you'll have to go back and listen if you're kind of freaked out by that a little bit. Um, Each one of these tools or their views on gospel, they do have some truth in them to a lesser or greater extent, but where we ended up is none of that is actually the gospel. The four spiritual laws is not the gospel. Uh, What we typically think of or refer to as the gospel is not the gospel, it's instead what you would call the plan of salvation. And the plan of salvation is important It's an integral part of the gospel, actually, but it's not the main part, nor the only part. And ever since the Protestant Reformation, for the last 500 years, the big question on everyone's mind is, how does one get saved? How does one get saved? And so what we've done is we've kind of put all the focus on that so that now anytime we mention the word gospel, all we think about is, how does someone get saved? How does someone get saved? Which is a part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. We went to Mark 1, and we talked about how Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the gospel. Okay, they're called the gospel according to four different people. And Mark begins with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Then you have four theologically loaded paragraphs citing the prophet Isaiah. Then you have the messenger uh, in Isaiah coming as John the Baptist. Then there's Jesus' baptism. Then there's Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And before uh, before chapter one is even over, Jesus is announcing the gospel. So Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't been resurrected yet. And he's telling people to, that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So what gospel? Are there two gospels? Does Jesus preach the same gospel or does Paul teach a different gospel? What's the gospel? If the gospel is just the plan of salvation, how can someone repent and believe in it before the death and resurrection of Jesus? Is there more than one gospel? I already said that. All right. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say actually they are preaching the same gospel. So what is it? All right. So we're going to define gospel today. We're going to talk about what is a gospel? What is the gospel? Gospel, the word euangelion, or in Hebrew, basar, means good news. Okay, good news. It's an announcement. So one, gospel means news. Two, it's a political term, okay? It's a political term. It usually refers to a messenger making the announcement that a king or a general or a political leader has defeated the enemies of the nations, okay? So one, it's news. Two, it's political news about the defeat 
of our enemies by a king or his military. Three, this announcement usually ushers in a new age in which the social order is changed and there is now peace and good tidings on earth, etc. So, for example, how is the word often used? There's a lot of places, but I'm going to look to an unusual one. First uh, Samuel 31, 8 and 9. The king Saul is killed in battle, and it says the next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers, okay, there's our messengers, throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the gospel, the good news, in the temple of their gods and among their people. So for the Philistines, the gospel is our enemy's king is dead. We have victory. Go and proclaim it and celebrate to all the people the new age is upon us and so on. Another example outside the Bible. In the year 9 BC, there is an inscription about a calendar and it's about Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. And it says, since providence, maybe their idea of God, which has ordered all things of our life and is very much interested in our life, has ordered things in sending Augustus, whom she filled with virtue and benefit of all, for all men, sending him as a savior, both for us and for those after us, him who would end wars and bring order to all things, peace to all things. And since Caesar, by his appearance, surpassed the hopes of all those who received the gospel, the good news, not only those who were benefactors before him, but even uh, the hope of those who will be left afterward. And the birthday of the God, Caesar Augustus, was for the world the beginning of the gospel through him. Okay, so right here, gospel is used to herald the news about 10 or 12 years before Jesus was born of the arrival of a kingdom, the reign of a king that brought war to an end and, the, and order and peace to all things, and people who pledge their allegiance to this king are granted salvation from destruction. The king's birthday is spoken of as the birthday of the god, Augustus, and this inscription is a decree to start a new calendar system based on the year of Augustus's birth. So we're gonna start a new calendar cycle. Year one is the year of Augustus's birth. Does this sound familiar? These are all very familiar terms, aren't they, right? Mark chapter one shows up and says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is an answer to Isaiah who wrote some 500 years before Caesar Augustus or, or when Jesus was on the scene. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel, messengers, who proclaim peace, bringing order to all things, the end of war, chaos, right? Who bring good tidings, <clears throat> who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And that is the crux of the gospel in one sentence. Your God reigns. The gospel, here it is. The gospel is the announcement 
that Yahweh, God, now reigns as king over this world through his servant, Jesus, who has suffered, died for us, was raised, and has now been exalted to rule as king, as Yahweh's true representative. The gospel is the announcement that Yahweh God rules as king through Jesus, the Messiah. By the way, the word Messiah or Christ means anointed one and kings were anointed. So when you hear the word Christ, you should think king, King Jesus. God has come, God has won, and God now reigns through Jesus. To put this maybe in a little bit better illustration, uh, last week we showed a video from the Bible Project, and I, we're gonna, they have a lot of good videos on this. So we're gonna show another Bible Project video on the term gospel. Hey there, a quick editor's note again this week. If you need to find the video, you can simply go to YouTube and type in Bible Project and the word gospel. There are two videos. One is called The Gospel and the other is called Gospel. The one that you're looking for should say right above it, a word study. You can also find it on our website if YouTube is giving you issues, anacorduschristian.church, and select the media dropdown, and then blog posts, and then find the post for February 23rd, 2021, and it should be titled, The Gospel, Jesus is King. The video should be linked directly below this podcast and the sermon video from this week. So go ahead and pause now and go watch the video. Welcome back. Let's get back to the sermon. So this is the gospel. Now why is this important? One, because it has massive implications for how we see the world and how we live our lives. If the gospel is only about how people get saved for the afterlife, then living by faith pretty much means believing and agreeing to a certain amount of principles, okay? But if the gospel is a message that God has installed Jesus as the true king of this world, then living by faith means a life of allegiance to the king. That's gonna pattern our life. That's gonna change our activity. And two, the reason why this is important is because deep down inside, we all long for the true king. We do. We have so many legends about great kings, so many stories, so many myths. And they're all about a wise and perfect king who once upon a time ruled with justice and equality for all and security and abundance. Think about King Arthur, you know, this great king and on his tombstone, you know, it's uh, that he's gone but we await his return. Like the king is going to return someday and restore the kingdom, right? Robin Hood. King Richard is gone and the kingdom just sinks into darkness, right? But this, this vigilante, Robin Hood, is just holding things together by a thread until the king returns. And then King Richard returns and, and everything is restored back to goodness and peace and so on, right? Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a big one. 
um, you know, that's, uh, you think it's all about one thing, but then you start to realize it's all about the king. This wandering ranger in the north, mysteriously, and there's this, there's this hope that he's going to come and, and restore the kingdom that is now under, you know, this not so great ruler, and, and by his hands, all things are going to blossom, okay? And that's very interesting that we have these pictures of what a king is. We've got superheroes. We have celebrities and politicians that we love to crown. And yet, the human track record of kings is totally abysmal. Okay, it's just ugly. We don't have a good record of very many good kings. So what do we do? We continue to crown our politicians, our superheroes, and everything. We proclaim them as our kings, and we put all of our hope in them. Think about U.S. presidents. If you want to know what the biblical idea of a gospel looks like, it looks a lot more like a U.S. election than maybe the four spiritual laws. Okay, now don't, uh, don't freak out when I say that. I'm not going to take that to an extreme here. But when you have an election, every candidate has to come up with a gospel, right? Um, they, they do this. We, have, we claim to have a democracy. Tim Keller put it this way. He says democracy, he called, he said, is, is medicine, not food. It's medicine because it prevents the tyranny of a king. But it's not food because deep down we all know we need a king. We need perfect justice. We need um, abundance. We need peace and prosperity in all the land. And so these are all the guarantees that our candidates make. And we treat them like kings. Every four years, a candidate has to come up with his gospel in order to win your vote. For Obama, it's yes, we can. Right? Get me in office. We'll have victory out with the old, and there'll be a new age of opportunity for you. For Trump, make America great again. Like something's happened to America. We're living in darkness, right? Victory means we're going to return to the golden age. We're going to have greatness again, right? Biden. I don't even know if he had a slogan, but it was pretty much Trump was a tyrant and I'm going to take away the tyranny and undo everything he did. So, you know, that's like the gospel declaration. We're going to have an end of tyranny and a new bright and golden age and so on, right? So these are all different versions of the announcement of good news or gospel, not of God, but of Caesar's, of, of our rulers that we put our hope in. But all of the kings we crown eventually let us down. They fail us, or their reign ends in their death or their defeat. So what kind of a king is Jesus? In Mark 1, Jesus walks out of the wilderness proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and to repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus claiming to be the king in the first chapter, where does he get that authority or that belief? It really comes from when God baptized him in the Jordan, when John baptized him in the Jordan. Uh, in verse, Jesus went into the water, and when he came up, verse 11, God anoints Jesus as the true king. It says, a voice came from heaven. This is after the spirit came down on him in, in, in the form of a dove. A voice came from heaven and said, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And when I said Mark is theologically loaded, every paragraph, 
There are three quotations in that statement from the Old Testament. You are my son, my beloved, in whom I take delight, is kind of how you would quote it. They're quoting Psalm 2, Genesis 22, and Isaiah 42. And what's interesting is that in saying you are this person, God basically is telling Jesus his whole story. So Psalm 2, let's look at that. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed or Messiah, Mashiach, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them, the nations, with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son, or he will be angry with your, uh, excuse me, he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are the all who take refuge in him. So that was a bit long, but what do we get from this? One, Messiah, or Christ, equals the king, the son, the king, who's installed by God himself. If you say Jesus is the Christ, you are saying Jesus is the king. Today, not, not after I die, but right now, on this earth, Jesus is king. Two, peoples, nations, kings, and rulers all hate the true king. And I'm gonna throw in like rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms there too. I think, that, I think he includes that. They all hate the true king. Why? We just said everyone longs for the true king. Why would we all hate the true king? Because we reject the true king because we, we worship our independence, our own power, our own autonomy. The king is rejected. Okay, so the king is rejected. It's kind of like, I'll pray a prayer on my deathbed, but I'm not giving my allegiance to any king, right? I can still have the gospel apply to me if at the last minute I pray a prayer, but never have to bow to any king. And three, the king will rule the nations as his inheritance, and there will be no refuge from him. There is refuge in him. So that was from Psalm 2, Christ equals king. We long for the king, but we hate the king. We don't want a king over us. We want autonomy. Even though that's why we were like, we all like cheer on a president one minute and then we hate him the next, right? I mean, Genesis 22, the next phrase, my beloved. Uh, one scholar said that that phrase is quoting Genesis 22, where Abraham is, take, is told to take Isaac and sacrifice him as a test. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, or your beloved. 
Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So the son is the promised seed of Abraham who will bring healing to the nations. And just as Isaac would be surrendered up as an offering, though God did intervene, Jesus too would offer himself up as a sacrifice to God. Isaiah 42.1 is the last quote. In whom I am well pleased, or in whom I take delight. He's quoting, he's calling Jesus the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Jesus is the root from the stump of Jesse, the suffering servant. Chapter 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, our own way. But, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So right here in one phrase in the first chapter of Mark, God installs the son, the messianic king who would be rejected by us but receive the nations as his inheritance. He is the promised true seed of Israel bringing Israel's story to fulfillment and bringing healing to the nations yet he would be offered up as a sacrifice to God. He would bring God's healing not like an earthly king who does it through military victory over physical enemies, but as a servant, serving and loving his enemies. And he would, and in his death, would pay for the iniquity of us all. But unlike all other kings and their gospels, Jesus' kingdom will not end. And right in the middle of Acts chapter two, where Peter is declaring the gospel to the crowd of people, he talks about David for a number of reasons. He uses it to point to the resurrection. And he says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Caesar's gonna die. Trump is no longer president. Biden's gonna die. Um, you know, everything that we put our hope in will fade. David, though, was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the king, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit and has pointed out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. And here is the key. Here is the crux of the gospel. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, King. That's the gospel. That's the story, that's the news. God has put a king on the throne of this world, Jesus. Do you live your life under the belief and allegiance to Jesus as king?
Do you have a lot of hope? Or do you generally feel pretty hopeless? Did you find that the last presidential election affected you more than it should? Or is there a greater gospel, a source of peace and joy even in the midst of the turmoil and polarization of our world and its kings and their gospels? It brings a whole new meaning to not believing the wrong gospel because that would mean it's, it's not just about not believing bad teachings about salvation. It means don't follow the wrong king. Don't put your hope in the wrong leader, in the wrong system. Or whose gospel has shaped you the most? First Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts revere Christ the king as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do you have this hope? And I heard one pastor put it this way. Does your life require a gospel explanation? Explanation. Does your life require a gospel explanation? And not because your life is about being a good person. Wow, you're such a good person. Would you please explain to me why you're such a good person? No, everyone thinks you should be a good person. And Peter goes on to say, you're actually gonna be reviled for being a good person. The reason why someone would ask you to give an explanation for your life is if your life makes no sense to them. You, you make no sense to me. Why are you not affected by this like I am? How can you forgive that person? How can you love this enemy? How can you go the extra mile? How can you turn the other cheek? What is up with you? Where do you get this stability in this turmoil? Where do you get this calm? Where, what allows you to love people genuinely the way you do when it makes absolutely no sense? That is the rule of the king working through you in other people's lives. Does your life require a gospel explanation? I believe Jesus is the king and that I am secure in him and that he came to serve us by giving his life for our sins on the cross but that he was buried and he identified in our death, but not only that, that he was raised and that he was exalted to the right hand of God and he now rules through his kingdom as a subversive counter upside down kingdom on earth. And we're called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And this is happening. This is happening in little ways, small steps every day when the kingdom of God Exerts, exerts its authority through people like you and me who are full of the Holy Spirit because we have turned to the King. He invites anyone who would belong to his kingdom to turn to him. What should we do, they said? Repent, just as Jesus said repent. What does repent mean? It means change your allegiance. It means not just, I'm sorry, I, I had a bad thought, I did these bad things. It means like, no, well, that's, that's part of it because that means you're serving a different idol, a different God, but, but it's like turn away from your gods, turn away from your kings, turn away from the system that can, your life is conforming to. Turn around and give your allegiance to Jesus. 
be baptized. Let his death be credited to you as your death and his life be given to you now as your life. For the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins or how we get saved is not the gospel, but it is how the kingdom of God takes root and expands. It is how God rules as king. So it is not the root, it is the means, right? The gospel is Jesus is king. How does he become king? He opens the door wide and forgives us and invites us to come into his kingdom freely because Jesus took the crime for our sins, the penalty for our sins on himself. But if that's all it is, then we have a very narrow view. It's all under the umbrella that Jesus is king and he invites you into a new kingdom, not just when you die or when he returns, but right now, right now, to change your life utterly upside down. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Jesus, the message is you are king. And so by our word here, Lord, even as as inadequate as it is, our response, Lord, we surrender to you. If there's anyone here who hasn't received this invitation to come to your kingdom, to receive you as their true king, the one we've longed and hoped for, but even the very one we resist, let us relinquish our our autonomy. Let us take refuge in him. Let us bow before you and confess Jesus as Lord. Let us turn to you and have hope because you are the true king who really does defeat the bigger enemies, the spiritual authorities that are behind every authority. And you free us and you bring us peace. And we desire that. If there's anyone here who hasn't chosen to be baptized and to identify with Christ and confess him as king in that way, then I just pray they would decide today to follow you and to do that. And Lord, now as we come to your table, we remember the cost and the gift that you gave us. And your word says in Revelation that just as your father shared his rule with the son, and gave the scepter to, over the nations, so now you share it with anyone who is in Christ the one who conquers. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom rule would go through us. We pray, Lord, uh, as we come to your table, that we would receive your body, which was given for us, a new kind of king, a servant, not an overlord, and your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins to make a way for us to enter. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us today and let you know that we love you and Jesus loves you. And you always have a place here at ACC. If you made a decision for Christ today or you just want to talk with someone, please don't hesitate to reach out. We have a really easy contact form you can fill out on our website or you can call us at 360-293-3729. We would love to talk with you. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.
We'll talk to you soon.